Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And in today's episode, we've got a bunch to talk about. We've got Samsung's beefy new tablet over here, the S8 Ultra. We're going to talk about this. We also want to talk about YouTube subscribers and if they're still worth anything. And also, we'll get into Zach, Jerry, everything, snapping a phone in half. But first, we interrupt the regular programming to talk about Daft Punk. We do. Just like Daft Punk interrupt our regular programming yeah, at the studio really messed and had us up. all glued to our screens. Um, I It was kind of funny. Actually, this unfolded a little bit before the announcement because I remember it was maybe like three or four days ago, Maddian uh, on his Instagram story had a picture of a Daft Punk Frisbee. Oh. And I just replied like fire emoji and it's just like a random piece of merch that he had or whatever. Yeah. And then... Last night... Or the night before, I guess, this launched, Austin just randomly tweeted, yeah. I miss Daft Punk. Exactly. And so this was all sort of just happening in the background, and I'm just thinking about Daft Punk. And then out of nowhere, a Daft Punk Twitter account is born and tweets yeah. some album art from uh, the Homework album from, yeah. from 1997. And we're all kind of like, what? This is?" And it was like, it was a brand new account. It doesn't yeah, follow yeah. anybody. It wasn't even verified when it first tweeted. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to figure out, is this just, honestly, what I thought was, I thought Daft Punk finally retired the Twitter account and some lucky person just got it and started tweeting and trolling everybody. But immediately it's trending. There's an official DaftPunk.com website. The Instagram account lights up. It starts sharing images. It's given us throwback vibes. Um, And then they tweet a Twitch link. Well, they tweeted another picture first that was just like oh, the, yeah, yeah. the I don't know if it was the poster or something from some concert in 97. It, it was, was like tour, the, yeah. the tour poster. Yeah. Um, and people started freaking out about that. Yeah. And I think there was like, I mean, internally we saw that and then we saw Maddion posting and all of us were like, imagine if Maddion right. opened for Daft right. Punk. Right. We thought Maddion was tour. in on it. We thought he knew yeah. that Daft Punk was coming back and he was going to like be part of it with them. How great would that French duo or trio end up on stage? That would be amazing. But that's not what happened. We got yeah. our hopes up at least that high. That's not what happened. Uh, they tweeted a Twitch link, which was a countdown timer. Mm-hmm. And when the timer went up, it was uninterrupted footage of a 1997 concert, actually before they started wearing helmets. Yeah, I thought so that was a super OG original performance from Daft Punk and they ended up re-releasing a uh, sort of remastered version of the homework album from 1997, 25th anniversary edition. I thought that was pretty cool. I wish they were touring again, but that's a whole other story. At least it's not an NFT. A lot of people thought it was going to be an (laughs) NFT and it wasn't. That was a relief. I was, I, there was a brief thought for a minute in my head that we were going to see a Daft Punk NFT and I would not know how to feel about that. Would you buy an NFT of the, it was the silver robot that exploded, right? Yeah. the You know, the closest I ever got to wanting to buy an NFT was a piece of Daft Punk art, actually. It was Justin Mahler, right? It was Justin Mahler. Yeah. And, uh, but I haven't actually bought any NFTs or really gotten involved very much. But yeah. I obviously, I have my eye on them. They're on Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. I was like, if Daft Punk gets into it, that's going to be crazy. But it wasn't. It was just a little innocent little <laughs> remaster of an old album. So that was yeah. cool to And see. you've been listening to it? I, you know, it's funny. So I listened to it on the way home that day in my car and 
I I am very familiar with pretty much Daft Punk's entire body of work. And so I'm listening to it in the car and I'm like, oh, this does sound different. This does sound really mm-hmm. good. Like it's got this new spatial mix or whatever. I'm feeling like, oh, the bass is a little bit less distorted. It's a little tighter. I'm I'm very into uh, the difference here. But then I, I pulled it up on Spotify today, this morning uh-huh. at work, and I was going to play for you the difference between the two. And I played them and I couldn't hear you a looked, difference. It's like you were having like a <laughs> mental breakdown. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, I know I heard a difference last night. It sounded very different. And now I'm playing the original homework album back to back with the remastered homework album. And they sound exactly the same to me. And I'm listening on the, the Yamaha speakers mm-hmm. and the HD 650s. And it turned out basically my car is introducing like the stereo mix. This is just what Tesla does. They just have like a standard amount of stereo separation. They just create among their speakers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was on by default. I had to swipe it down to off to have it sound a little more like I expected. Okay. But I was was the victim of the placebo effect for For sure sure last night because I was jamming. I thought this was all brand new stuff. It yeah. was, uh, but it's good. I still enjoyed, you know, I got a little throwback out of it. You'll have to listen. I'm sure there's some things that sound a little different. I've, I I've, bet. You hear remastered songs every once in a while. And, and just because you're so used to something, even yeah. if it does sound better or a little more full, it sounds off because yeah. you've just been used to something for so long. Yeah. Usually remasters, you kind of, you get a little more out of it. You get a little more, you know, highlighting some things you might not have sound here heard before. You know, pulling up obviously higher resolution stuff, but just uh, it would be like if I remastered an old YouTube video, you'd be like, oh, this new dynamic range or it's a little more better resolution. I can't actually do that because I don't have the original footage. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's the idea. Uh, So 25th anniversary of homework. It's in the show notes as if Daft Punk needs a shout out from me. Oh, I should have put the helmet on. I think they're doing a, oh, we forgot to do that. Yeah, I was going to do the helmet. We'll do our clips outro or something. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, I think they're doing a vinyl release also of it. True. I believe. Yeah, so if you're into the vinyls, definitely, definitely grab that. I also have, I think everyone in the tech world kind of saw this video, but Jerry Rig Everything has been massive lately, but like it's when one of his, when a phone fails spectacularly, his video is like the only thing on everyone's Twitter timeline in that yeah. that sense. And um, we had one of those happen recently. Yeah, he did the, the OnePlus 10 Pro. Yeah. And he snapped that thing in half like a candy bar, like it a Kit Kat bar. Really funny because he, in uh, Zach's intro, he was talking about how it's like uh, he was skeptical because it's a China release only phone when OnePlus never does that, and he was mm. kind of like, "Let's let's see what goes wrong." And I know he does voiceovers, but that was in the intro part, and I was like, "Oh man!" <laughs> when he looked back to edit that, I bet he's so happy that he yeah, said that. It was ominous. Yeah, but um, watching through it, it just kind of does everything a normal phone does in his, his breakdowns. It was like uh, scratches at six, deeper grooves at seven, clockwork, like everything else. Um, but then the bend test. And I also have to say, there's a lot of comments every time this happens, which isn't very often of who's going to ever bend like this. Right. No one. No one's saying anyone's going to bend it like this. You could put it in your back pocket. You could sit on it. There's There are ways, though, where a phone could break like this. And because he does it to all of his phones, when only... How how many have snapped in half? Three, maybe? Um, I can think of three things that snapped in half. Three things, though. How yeah. are all of them phones? One was an iPad. Yeah. One was a Legion phone. The Legion phone was recent half. and snapped yeah. in half. But we all thought but the like, Legion phone was going to. Look at the that design That was a weird one. Thing. It was also like not it built like a It snapped in phone. two spots because of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the 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 Ben test thing is funny. It, I remember like the original, the genesis of the Ben test, which was like the iPhone 6 Lou, Plus yeah. when Lou, you know, actually it started because there were articles about people who yeah. sat on the phone and in their back mm-hmm. pocket had bent. And that was like, oh, I, that's kind of funny. Like it's a brand new phone. It's just coming out. It's bending in people's back pockets. And then Lou was smart enough to do a video where he just tested like, well, I'll try to bend this phone. I, I don't know if he even tried to bend any other phones, but on camera, it's got the iconic top down shot. The phone just bends right in half. And that was like a moment of like, well, that's that seems bad. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got, you know, Ben Gate, Apple had to fix it. 6S has these reinforced pieces inside the phone. Um, Zach's been doing Ben tests since around then. And I think that's the thing people point to is most phones don't bend in half yeah. when you try that. Exactly. And the proof is 
Zach is very strong and tries really hard to yeah. bend all of these phones. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when one of them does fail that spectacularly, you're like, well, I wasn't putting my phone in my back pocket, but it does seem kind of bad that this phone so easily yeah, failed. Durability wise, it is clearly weaker than the majority of other phones that he does. And that doesn't yeah. happen to. Is um, that a deal breaker? If you were going to buy a phone and you saw that it failed the bend test, would that be a deal breaker for you? I mean, if it's compared to another phone that I consider equal footing, that might just be the straw that, yeah. that makes it change. Um, I, I really like the OnePlus 10 Pro in a lot of ways, and I feel like if it had the right software or maybe the international version comes out and I really like it, I would still use it. I'd still be fine with yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think it should severely affect anybody. And I don't use a case. Yeah. I just have it in my pocket. Sure. I loved when he tried to put it in the case <laughs> at the end yeah. um, to make sure the plug was still in there. Yeah. But it, it seems like there's a very specific reason it did it because under that giant camera bump, is basically there the space for the battery and it's just like a clear space of nothing a clear line across it of nothing and then it happens to be on one side there's an antenna band and on the other side there's the volume rocker which is both of those things are making the rails which he also mentioned really are super super thin yeah not as stable yeah so there you go i mean it's basically the same problem apple had and they had to in the next year's phone, specifically add reinforcements to have thicker pieces right around those thin yeah. parts of the rail. I think even if the the antenna band, volume rocker is probably in a spot it's always going to be, but antenna band and even thicker rails. If you make the antenna band closer to like where the camera module is or where the battery is, so you're getting a little extra support of the internals in it. Yeah. On something like that, but yeah, we all know Zach Strong, but he. It did not look hard to break that. I mean, first little bend and that the whole back was splintered and shattered. Yeah. And then just like he flipped it around and it was barely anything and it just folded like a. Also, the crazy degree. thing is like he he does this with bare, his bare hands, right? Yeah. So it's a glass phone. He mm -hmm. breaks it in half. He's literally pulling glass out of his yeah. thumb as in on the camera. I've held up devices where I'm like, I wonder if I could bend this in half. But the second I like start to and I see the bend going, I'm like, no, I don't want to shatter glass everywhere and get it in my hands. Yeah. Like that doesn't seem fun. This tablet, which we're going to talk about in a second, guarantees that I could snap this in half. Guarantee well, it, he could snap it in it's half. It's so big. It's, so at a certain point, you're. It's much taller than an iPad Pro and it's thinner and he snapped the iPad Pro in half. I don't see what they could do structurally to make this thing survive. There's also. Bent. But you never put it in your back exactly, pocket. Exactly. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't actually matter that much. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm. I. <laughs> There's lots of phones out there that would be fascinating to try to bend in half, but I, I just leave it to the professionals. Maybe we should do a, a studio Olympics of who can snap the most phones in half. Did you snap the the model phone in half? Yeah, and but that, shattered it. Well, that was more dangerous because of how much less safe that crappy glass is. <laughs> on like a model, that was glass everywhere. It was glass. Oh yeah, the oh, front of it was, it was glass. Oh. No, the front of it was glass, and it was <laughs> shattered everywhere. If you go back and watch that studio video yeah. of the phone guessing game, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and just real quick, why we're uh, top of the show and still talking about Zach, he's doing this like EV Hummer build out. Yeah, I've seen some of this. I didn't really, there's 17 videos at this point and they're insanely detailed, incredibly interesting. So, so what is he doing? Because I've seen the final result videos and like sort of he's what not he's totally built. Done it's not yet, totally but done, but yeah. what is the, explain what the concept is and what he's trying to accomplish here. It's kind of funny when he explains the concept because he's essentially taking one of the least fuel efficient cars possible and turning it into a, an electric vehicle, a green, he called it the green machine. Um, so it's a Humvee, so not exactly like a regular Hummer. And he explains in there that kind of the difference between a Humvee and a Hummer is like Humvee is a military vehicle that doesn't have the standard luxuries of like a, a regular everyday car, like air conditioning and, and yeah. pretty normal stuff. I mean, it's like, almost straight metal interior and there's a bunch of quirky little things going on with this it, is like a 5,000 pound truck is like armor truck. Yeah. And what I also right in the beginning, the way he moves it into this garage is this like little armored tank Roomba looking thing that he like puts his jack on right. and it pushes, it can push like 3,000 pounds or something. What a great invention, but it, it was, pushes the whole Hummer. So it's it least... was really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, but he's been doing, Everything from stripping the Humvee with of all the the regular like the engine and the transmission and all that stuff, and then he's replacing it with the motor from one of those vehicles that pulls airplanes, essentially. Mm. Um, and then he has a bunch of 
batteries that I believe were from like a Model 3 or something like that. I'm pr almost positive it was a Tesla. I don't remember the exact one. Wow. Um, but he's building everything. Um, I haven't watched every single video, but he gets super detailed and it's really, really fascinating. And I'm also really impressed by how he just like takes the camera underneath the car to like take apart all these lot. different things. It's a lot yeah. of work. It's funny in the car community, it is fairly common to like take a built engine and and use like built parts and do all sorts of custom stuff. Yeah, that doesn't really exist in the EV world. Like we have, I don't know if you've ever seen Rich Rebuilds. I what know he does. of him, but I don't watch much. It's kind of along the same lines where it's like you realize that these car companies don't want you taking apart their cars because there's so much complexity. You have to be an electrical engineer to yeah. make a lot of this stuff work safely, whereas you had to be a mechanical engineer to do a lot of the previous generation of car stuff safely. Mm -hmm. Now, you could get good enough as an enthusiast to do the car tinkering with gas cars, uh, Zach's demonstrating how hard it is to do it with an electric car. Uh, Rich Rebuilds did a version in reverse, actually. He took a Tesla and has started gutting it and put a V8 in it, really? which is really funny. Half of it that's... is like trolling because this oh, guy is yeah, I'm sure. incredible troll. But like that's the type of stuff that you realize is very rare. So I, I think it's cool that Zach's doing it. It's not going to be like some like street legal production car type thing. He's just doing a project. Yeah, I'm not totally sure what the legalities of it are. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't think it's supposed I would, to be street legal or anything. I mean, it I'm might be. I'm not totally sure. I don't know how, what you would have to do to get it to be street legal. Um, and I'm sure he talks about it in one of the episodes, but I've watched, I watched like maybe the first five and then the last two. Mm -hmm. um, but highly, highly suggest watching it, especially now if you haven't watched it and then you want to like binge something, he's getting really close to the end of it. The end um, of it. I don't would want to be, spoil anything. Would just be being what? complete. Just complete. Yeah. You can drive it, park yeah, yeah. it, charge it. I mean, not just like straight up, like a short drive. I think he wants it to be a certain. I think he wants it to be like a, a regular daily driver. I'd be curious what happens when you plug that into like an Electrify America charger. Does it just? I think it's don't a normal, know. I don't know if that's that even possible. Yeah. I'm sure he's also covered that. Like I said, lots of episodes, yeah. all of them about 20 or 30 minutes. Um, okay. And I, now that I know about all of them, because he's he's been posting more recently. Mm -hmm. And then I found out there were that. He's been doing it since last July, I believe. Yeah. So. Super, I wish him luck. Zach, good luck. Also, come on the podcast yeah, and explain you're what you're done, doing. <laughs> yeah. That, Please. Uh, yeah. Watching this, I was just like, Zach needs to come on the podcast. Yeah. Soon. Sick. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about this tablet I could snap in half. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. And that's exactly what NetSuite provides, support. But what they really provide is support where you need it because no one needs help where they don't need it. So NetSuite wants to provide you with products and services that are tailor-made for your business. Help where you need it. NetSuite is a top-rated cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended their one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash waveform. That's netsuite.com slash waveform, netsuite.com slash waveform. All right, welcome back. I'm holding in my hands for the video viewers, you can see this, but for audio viewers, a Galaxy Tab S8 Ultra. I love that Samsung makes these. So we've had Samsung tablets in the past. I've made videos about a couple of them and they've had the Galaxy Tab S7. We've had a couple of them in the studio and made videos, but this is an ultra for the first time. So they have a Tab S8 mm -hmm. and they have a Tab S8 Plus. This is the Tab S8 Ultra. 
It is a 14 and a half, almost 15 inch screen. I'm just gonna hold up my Surface laptop next yeah. to it. It's basically, smaller. Basically imagine a laptop screen, but just a screen. So 15 inch laptop. Um, it's about a two and a half, 2.9K by 1.8K. So it's a decently high resolution, but there is a lot going on here that I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are because the, the gold standard in the tablet world is still the iPad, right? Yeah. And this is a $1,100 tablet, so it's competing with the highest-end iPad, the iPad Pro, if you mm -hmm. were to compare it to another tablet. This does a lot of things the iPad would never do. So I, I think it's worth at least pointing at some of those things Yeah, for sure. talking about them. Number one, uh, it's huge, and it's 16 by 10, which is interesting. Uh, the iPad has always been uh, a little closer to a square, not quite a square. Okay. Um, but it is very obvious when you're holding it that this is meant to be in landscape. It doesn't really make yeah. sense to use it like this. Oh, so I you're mean, holding like a clipboard. Yeah, that's probably about the same aspect ratio. I mean, you could read a web page like this, but mm -hmm. the way things are oriented, the way the notch at the top is in the top middle, and we'll talk about the notch, um, and oh, also yeah. the fingerprint reader is over here where your thumb would be. Boom. Oh, okay. So in this display is just, fingerprint reader. Yeah, also, it's got yeah. the it's optical. It's not ultrasonic, but like though it's just made to be horizontal. For sure. So that's an interesting note. Um, Although the the power and volume rocker feel like what it would be like if you were using it portrait. That is true, but then they're all the way at the top, which is interesting. I mean, if you were just blowing a phone up, this is about where they would be. True. They'd just be a lot bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and then the port is down at where at the where the bottom would be too. So that's interesting. Yeah. But I still think this is this is a horizontal experience I most of the time. I agree. Cuz this huge screen, you're what are you doing? Watching movies, gaming, I mean watching any videos really. Yeah. Uh, Potentially I mean multitasking stuff. on it as well. Multitasking. Yeah. yeah. So that's number 1. Uh number 2 is it's an OLED. And this is something I haven't seen in an iPad yet. So the iPad, you know, mini LED we hear about all these dimming zones and that's all great. I think this looks better, even though it's a slightly lower pixel density, and I can kind of see a little bit of if I go. I mean, it's a big enough screen. That's close. your best chance at being. But if you're, again, if you're doing this, if you're like squinting look an inch the, away, look at the text. Doesn't that look kind of soft? It's it's a little bit to do with the resolution and a little bit of the. Oh no, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're talking of about. The the pixel layout. I don't know if it's pentile or what this this matrix is, but it does look a little soft if you. But you look how close you are to it to see yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're just looking at this anything, you're like, that's a beautiful screen. Yeah. So it's a it's a huge OLED, and that's this is the biggest touchscreen OLED. I th I think I want to confirm that, but I think it's the biggest touchscreen OLED I've ever used because we get the OLED TVs. But then we have lots of like mini LED laptops, mini LED iPads. This is a 15-inch OLED, and it looks great. Gets up to about 400 nits, a little bit dimmer than the max brightness I would have liked to have seen, but that's the downside of OLED is it doesn't get super bright, uh -huh. but great-looking screen. So I definitely want to point that out. Expandable storage, that's great. That's nice. Micro SD card right at the top there. That's cool. And then this pen is included for free. So oh, it's free. it's a it's an S Pen free 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 for free definitely not something Apple's doing right now with the no. <laughs> one hundred thirty dollar one hundred thirty dollar pencil, but here's the interesting thing: it attaches two ways. Mm -hmm. One, you can attach it by a magnet to the top right there. Okay, that Seems is reasonable. like it's reasonable. It doesn't charge there, so this is Seems like your <laughs> this is like the. <laughs> the take the tablet off or like I was using the pen for a little bit and then I just want to leave it there for a second while I see how hard it is. Okay. I just want to leave it there for a second yeah. while I do one or two other things and then grab it again. So that's like a short term storage Or if it's thing. like laying down flat and you're just sliding it right on top yeah. to keep it there. So I got to, it's got that flat edge like the Apple Pencil. Okay. I got to snap it into place. But the only place it actually charges is on the back like that. And this is the same as the last year. Uh, where it's super easy to just yeah. scrape it off or if you put it in a bag, if why you don't have a case. It, can I see? Yeah. Why is the place it goes on specifically glossy? That's just supposed to show you where it goes or, oh, because it's glass and can wirelessly charge through Yeah, that? it can't be metal. So okay. that's, it's they just decided to do plastic or whatever it glass It feels that weird is. to have like a glossy place where the thing that's going to like touch on it all the time and potentially scratch it up. Yeah. It's going to just constantly keep going. The iPad does like a plastic, matte plastic cutout. You can only do it facing one way. It kind of does it, but you can tell it doesn't but work. But it doesn't too. charge. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't charge? Uh, not very well. Oh, you have to line it up pretty well. It's a very specific spot that. Yeah. Because when you do that, I see an animation. 
It's a nice click. It's a nice click. So that's one thing. I don't know if, you know, the iPad kind of has the same problem where like you slap the Apple Pencil on the side and it could just fall off at any point. Mm -hmm. Here's Samsung's solution. This is half of their book keyboard case. There's an attachable keyboard. The other half is just like, imagine a, a magnetic folio that slaps to the back that has a, a, a dent in it that just holds the uh, the pencil to yeah. the back of the tablet. And essentially like has its own little um, flap so that you can open up for the pencil without taking the whole thing off of. It's like a little hidden compartment, except it's not hidden because it looks really obvious from the back. Yeah, it's just a, a little bulge holding the pen in there. Do you know who I think has done this the best? Microsoft. They have the the keyboard that goes in the bottom, that's the front cover for it, and at the top of the keyboard, it just basically folds onto itself and creates its oh. own little hinge and hides the pencil in there. Right. And then it doesn't feel like this huge bump on the back. It's just kind of like, well, here's you almost don't notice it because when the keyboard's up, it just props it up a little tiny bit and then the pencil's hidden. I do like that a lot. The problem with that is you can't use that without the keyboard thing. Y yeah, if you, well, I guess they're assuming you're using the keyboard as like, you're just plain cover. But yeah. if you don't want to bring your keyboard, then yeah, you've lost. Yeah, that. I like that this accessory, you can use half of it. Sure. And you can use this little kickstand right here. And Dave made a video about this tablet already. We're working on our full video right now. But mm -hmm. something he said in that video, which I thought was really interesting and very true, is a tablet this big, you aren't using it, holding it most of the time. Like it's got this split keyboard that I keep using because I'm typing while holding it. But I actually found most of the time I use it, I've set it down somewhere. And mm -hmm. I'm either watching something or I have a website pulled up, I've got whatever, Amazon, whatever videos, and so I just use the regular keyboard. And so I've got this little kickstand here and it just pops up like that. And then that's how I use it most of the time. I don't think I've taken my iPad out of the folio in years. Like I just, yeah. just sits constantly in that folio case. No, I do like this little, uh, this little kickstand's nice because it's not adding a lot of bulk to the back of it. Yeah, but yeah, being it's also able to, the thinnest tablet I've ever seen. Yeah. So you can add like a thick case, and it's, it's totally a fine. good hinge on this too for how thin it is. Yeah. Now, oh man, I keep slamming it on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> it still has the optional keyboard accessory that I'll hold up for our our video viewers here. It's got a trackpad. It's got some pins and some magnets, and it slaps on. This has the same problem that the Surface and the iPad Pro have, which is that. The top is heavier than the bottom. Uh -huh. So when you try to use it like a laptop, it's all flopping around because all of the weight, it's like top heavy, basically. So you have to Can use the back. Yeah, oh, so you have to use the, the stand, you're you saying? You have to use the stand. Yeah. So if I were to use this kind of like a like a regular laptop like this, oh. it's there's no strength to this hinge at all. Yeah, it's just you, holding it. You're almost, so like, because now you're putting it up a little higher and the way the kickstand on the back of the folio works is it's only as long as the actual tablet is. When you bring it up, you almost have to be using this at like 120 degrees. You almost can't get it up at like 90. Yeah. Because now the the tab or the kickstand isn't tall enough and it's messing it up. Yeah. And it falls over. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it's kind of cool that you can have, problem. yeah, the laptop setup is like a nice option. It's got DeX built in. There's a quick keyboard shortcut, switches in a DeX mode. It looks great, but yeah. Biggest that. problem with this that I think a tablet needs to solve and kind of the iPad magic did it. Was it the magic folio or whatever? What do they call it? With the keyboard? With the, like, magic... That like floated and was supposed yeah. to feel more. You can't put this on your lap. When yeah. this is on your lap, it can't stand up because it needs a hard surface behind it for the kickstand to support. Yeah. So because of this, which is how I use my laptop so often, is it can't just use it right in my lap, which is a yeah. pain, and I don't know how you do. You solve use your that. laptop in your lap a lot. When I I'm feel using like a laptop, yeah, I'm. I guess it depends on the size of the machine. Uh, I hardly use my laptop in my actual lap anymore. I usually just carry it between tables and put it on a table. I think there's usually. times where I'll take it and I'd like to like be watching TV and doing something quick on my laptop or mm -hmm. or something like that, and then. I'd like to sit on my couch and yeah. lean back rather than like or like put it on the couch next over. to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it I don't definitely... think this would do great on a couch next to you either. It'd be real floppy. Yeah, yeah. That's the downside. But I guess we should talk about the notch. I'll just I'll just bring up the notch real quick. Mm -hmm. I think this notch is the easiest non-issue of any notch. It's a tiny notch, smaller than the iPhone's notch, mm -hmm. on a huge screen. Yeah, fifteen-inch screen. 
and it's holding two cameras right now, the standard 4K webcam and an ultra-wide 4K webcam. I really like these. These are really good quality webcams. The ultra-wide has this follow feature that works okay. okay. It's not very responsive, but it works. Um, so I like that it has an ultra-wide webcam. They're both too big to fit in these super thin bezels, so it's got a little tiny notch. I think it doesn't matter at all. Totally fine. I'm curious what you think looking at it. My biggest issue, and it wouldn't be solved by putting the notch on the top in portrait mode, was just like at one point in one orientation when you're holding this, it's wrong. So like, I kind of think back to the, uh, what was it? The Was it the second Mi Mix Ultra that had the cutout camera in the bottom corner? Oh yeah. Like I almost wonder what this would look like if there's just a little black space in this corner to have an extra camera or the mm. two cameras. And then when you're holding it in portrait, it's just like in a corner based on portrait and landscape. I guess the only thing about a corner webcam is that no matter what orientation you're in, the webcam is off center and you're not really looking at it. So like if you're on a video call yeah, and it's like this, this is this is the best place for a camera for it to be up here. Yeah. But if I put it over to the side, like on the iPad, you're constantly looking over to the side of the webcam and it never really looks like you're looking at the camera. That's like kind of annoying and I guess that's why I want the iPads to shift to this spot. A corner would just always be off. <laughs> so I think I think they, they did a good I, job. I, I mean, that's like very, very nitpicky. I don't think it's that bad. One thing that I find really interesting with Samsung as a tablet and just Samsung phones in general, and, and it makes more sense to me on a tablet, is their DeX features. Like getting closer to this where like this does feel pretty close to a laptop in all of this and like how Chromebooks are so much more, I don't know what you're, oh, you're trying to I was to trying to turn color. decks on. Okay. Um, like Chromebooks are becoming so much popular because we're realizing as people, so many average users are just using for websites and emails and stuff and YouTube and whatever. Yeah. Like this probably is more powerful than a Chromebook. And if you can just dock it into a station, this feels, it's Android, but mm -hmm. a Chromebook is, Chrome OS. So like both of them are kind of losing so out. So powerful on, you mean uh, software wise? I mean software for what you're doing. Yeah. Like both of these, a Chromebook and this can handle web browsing, YouTube, yeah. emails, absolutely no problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean the the base, I don't know, I'm thinking like you know, similar price range. If you got a thousand dollar Chromebook, you'd you'd have That's more. Fair. You'd have a more thousand dollar Chromebook is ridiculous. But you're yeah. still doing the same stuff. It's just a web browser, right? True. So, you know, I'm using this tablet, and it to me st still feels like a big tablet. So, like mm -hmm. the Instagram experience isn't great. The SoundCloud app isn't really good. Like the columns and Gmail are pretty decent, but like my to do list app doesn't take advantage of the space. Like it's not great. Okay. But it's fine. You get your windowed apps in Dex mode, which is cool. But yeah, I guess it does have a similar level of productivity to a Chromebook plus any extras that happen to work well with Android on a tablet. Yeah, like if you're uh, a journalist or you know a writer or something like that, and then this is really easy for you to lug around and take down some quick notes or draw some stuff up like in an Uber ride. And then when you go home and you're ready to really bang out an article and you need to uh, like use your normal keyboard because typing a whole article on this keyboard would probably be pretty brutal. Then you can plug in your mouse and keyboard and have a, a monitor that maybe is a little more oriented for correct posture, something like that, a little more ergonomically correct. And that seems kind of neat. Yeah. I'm not an artist, but I can. You can scribble. I can scribble for, I can scribble for days. I'm, I'm really also just like not a tablet person. Oh, generally? So it's like hard for me to really see who, like who's fully taking control of this, but the more and more I look at tablets, the more and more I'm realizing they're at this part where there are people who don't do as many things on the computer and that probably could super benefit from this. And someone who travels, like, this would be awesome. That's the one time I consistently see myself being like, I wish I had a tablet, is watching movies, like, on the plane. Yeah, that's a that's a good question of, like, I don't know if I should... Maybe we just... Maybe we can put some of this in the review, but what is the ideal workflow and like set of devices to have. Cause I think there's a lot of people who have a really good computer and a decent phone and that's all they need. A tablet in oh, the middle wouldn't sure. make sense. There's also a group of people who has a really good phone and like an okay computer because the phone can do so much and it's yeah. got a big screen and it can do all kinds of tablet stuff that you don't really need a tablet there. And so there's a bunch of people who have like 
a phone they don't like as much or a tablet or a, a computer they don't like as much, but if they got a tablet that they really liked, it could do kind of both in a way. It could have mm -hmm. the app experience. You could do the email, social media, watching videos, but also you could put a keyboard on it and start answering emails in like a long form type of way and like really do some serious productivity stuff. But I don't think anybody needs a good phone, a good tablet, and a good computer. So there's always like no, a, a, a balancing. I idea. would always. Which one do you want? I would say if this is your main thing, a computer is probably not something you're taking everywhere with you. And the person then that I would say that happens is someone who travels a lot and is still taking phone calls. So no matter how good their phone is, yes, you can multitask on a phone, but no one likes to really do that much work on their you phone. You don't like the triple you're... window action on the Galaxy No, Note. and I don't like hearing people like <laughs> tapping on the phone when they're like obviously doing stuff. So like this then to me seems like that kind of person. I don't know if that's like a trader or something like that who's traveling a lot or like, again, uh, a journalist who might have to take notes in a, in a rough place and is also calling people pretty often for interviews or something like that. I, yeah. Uh, if, if you are somebody that this feels like would be your main. If you're in the target demographic. Yeah, I want to know. I kind of want to know the target demographic. Like we've, we've heard people respond to us on why people do like the S pen and phones. And there's been some really interesting that totally makes sense. Yeah. I would like to know how somebody would incorporate this into their everyday workflow or just everyday. Uh, yeah. And uh, not mobile gaming. I, yes, I totally understand that mobile gaming on tablets is far more fun than on a phone. Um, but I find it hard to buy a thousand dollar. Yeah. For uh, like every single day. Yeah. If for all like you do PUBG is game. mobile. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. No, I'm curious about that, but yeah, full review, full reviews in the works. Obviously I've been using it for a little bit. I don't have a full sense of battery life yet, but it seems pretty good. I want to put in a heavy day today and tomorrow and see what happens, but seems pretty good. Oh man. Putting the pen on blind is not easy, but I got it. Um, that's the tab S8 ultra. Also, people always people have been asking on Twitter about it. It's like I didn't realize yeah. every time this comes up, I always get a bunch of people asking about the new Galaxy Tab and yeah. what I think of it and how good it is. So the this ultra. Last to time me. we covered a tab was in a video that had a sponsored bit, and people were mad that we didn't oh, yeah. talk more about the sponsored bit. So like it was kind of here and there, but like no matter what, Samsung's products seem to get a lot of lot of hype, and I think a lot of it is how close they are comparatively to Apple and and forming a similar ecosystem. And I think people want choice. And yeah. this is, I mean, like even without using this so much, it seems like one of the obvious competitors against the iPad and people want that competition. Yeah, it's that and it's the willingness to do things Apple won't do. You won't see a micro SD card slot in the yeah. iPad. You won't see, you know, Android, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you won't see an OLED as of right now. So yeah, keep your eyes uh, peeled for that video. Before we stop talking about this, I kind of want to, and these won't count towards the scores, or maybe it can count towards the scores with an asterisk. Let's do the alphabet typing test on this. On this? Yeah. Oh my God. On the screen? Okay, so I gotta use yeah, it. Yeah, do the screen. Let's make this tough. I just think this sounds fun. This is gonna be bad. Um, this does not have anything to do with how good or bad this tablet okay. is, but I'm just- Here's another question. Interested. Do you want to try the split keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, Probably, probably the right rough. way to do it, but really, well, I'll give you the split. You can here. I'll, oh, I'll pull it up. I guess. Are you going to hold it or are you going to type with it like on the ground? I'd be faster table? putting it on the table and poking. You do one. I'll do the other. Which one are you doing? I'll do full keyboard. You can do on split the table. keyboard. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> here you go. Okay. Good luck. I'm I'm gonna go with I, I'm gonna I don't predict. Know, can I screen record this? Oh, I can screen record. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If I get sub ten within three tries, I'll be really proud of myself. I was just predicting that you would get over ten. Okay. I was gonna say over ten. So if you get under ten with the split keyboard, oh my god! I'd be very and impressed. I have to hold this. Yeah. This is. Yeah. You know what? This seemed big, and now like. It's a looking at it. A this lot of this space. feels like I'm about to like go bungee jumping. It's like, yeah, that looks so cool on YouTube. And then you like look over the edge and you're like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't see the number. Hold on. I need to make sure I put the keyboard down without losing it. Yeah. 
7.6. Did you see how much my head had to Yeah, you're looking back, back and forth between the right and the left this side. Thing, for the audio listeners, this tablet is so big and was split keyboard to type the alphabet. I literally had to turn my head like left to right constantly to do okay, it. Okay, now I feel like I, I need there's like pressure for me to beat I'm, that. That's first try too. And the, the suspense is really there because you uh, can't see the time because the keyboard comes up over it on the website. Standard keyboard. Standard keyboard. Here we go. Ready? Wait, wait, wait. I want to record this. I want to get the the lack of ASMR in uh, so not gonna tapping. Not going to this. You messed up like three times. I did. I was that was pretty bad. Ten point two. I messed up at what letter? Like it, two or three of them. I took two seconds to find the S button. Well, it's because you missed it, and I had to come and then back. Kept going, and then came back. Should I do one more? Yeah, do one more. Okay. That's much better. Six point nine one. I was still. That's pretty close to each other. That's impressive, man. Well done. All well right. done on the split keyboard. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll yeah. come back and we'll talk about YouTube. Okay. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at orus.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Um, I have, confusingly enough, a tweet about a LinkedIn post, but it kind of made a, a little wave on Twitter, especially in our group of creators. And I just wanted to talk about it because I think it's really interesting and I wanted to see your opinion on it. Sure. Um, so Colin and Samir tweeted a post from someone named Ezra Cooperstein, I believe. So the post by Ezra says, the YouTube subscriber has long been the currency of the platform. It will be gone in the next two years or at least deprioritized. The algorithm is better at knowing your interests and knowing what you want to watch. And consequently, a sub will mean less and less. This is already the case on TikTok. It's time to think less about this number and more about metrics that do matter. Um, and then Colin and Samir just said like, 
if this happened, we'd be bummed. Getting to a million subscribers is something they've been actively shooting for for a long time. Right. Um, I have a few thoughts on it, but I'd like to to hear what you have to say about it. So the YouTube subscriber count, yes, is a what they call a vanity metric. Yeah, which is basically that it doesn't really mean that much anymore. Although it is a nice, like, looking thing to have on your front door. Mm-hmm. So, I think that will always be true. I think there'll always be a bunch. Like when you arrive at a YouTube channel and you see that it has a bunch of videos, kind of the first thing you look at is, well, how popular is it? How many views are the videos getting? How many subscribers does the channel have? It gives it a sense of legitimacy Mm -hmm. to varying degrees. It's not like I see 3 million and think, oh, that's not as good as 5 million. But generally, if it has a lot, I think it's pretty legit. If it doesn't, then it's not, or maybe it's fake or whatever. So that's that's what like the vanity metric thing is to me. But I've also, you know, he he brings up TikTok, which which is a really interesting example. YouTube subscribers are very different from TikTok followers. I think they're worth vastly different amounts as mm-hmm. far as the way they kickstart you into the algorithmic boost. At yeah. least this is the way I view it, right? So I started a TikTok from zero, and uh, one of the first things I posted when I had, you know, probably a five-digit number of followers had like a million views, and so it was very clear that those people were not coming from my audience, they were coming from the algorithmic boost. It just got sucked up into, you know, people wanting to see this type of thing. That doesn't happen nearly as dramatically on YouTube. If you wanna see a video get to a million views, you need it to have some sort of an initial kick to get it into that that algorithmic feed Mm -hmm. to get it to people. And that comes from subscribers. That comes from the initial audience of when you first serve up the video, all those people serve as data points for YouTube to know, ah, turns out people like this video. Yeah. Because YouTube doesn't really want to take the risk. This is the difference between their algorithms. You know, YouTube doesn't really want to take the huge risk of going, let's serve this 15-minute video to 5 million impressions and see how many people click and watch it. But if you serve it to your subscribers and they click it voluntarily and they do like it, then YouTube already knows, oh, I can serve this up. So I think TikTok- It's like the control a really, group. Exactly. Yeah. So TikTok doesn't need that control group as much. They've got an amazing algorithm and they can figure yeah. out what's good about a video and what audience to serve it to, and they crush that. But I think YouTube specifically, I agree that subscribers are less important than they have been in the past, mm-hmm. but I don't think they will ever be completely meaningless i think you bring a really interesting point in the fact that like both ultimately we know that both of these platforms are trying to keep a user on the site as long as possible yep so in that in trying to keep somebody on the platform tiktok while its algorithm is insane we've talked about it all the time but if it serves you a video you're not interested in it's taken away three seconds of your time because within a couple seconds you know you don't like this and it's a quick swipe if youtube so many more of those videos are eight minutes, nine minutes, 10 plus minutes, like you said, 15 minutes, if it serves you that and you don't like it, it's not just a swipe away, then you're going to make some like choices around based on that. You're gonna go search something else and you have way more of a chance of getting served a 15 minute video and being like, yeah, I think I'm done with YouTube for today and closing the browser where right. TikTok, you get served a bad video, you just swipe. Not Even if on TikTok you swipe backwards to leave, Thinking you're going to close the app, it brings another one in and it has a chance to snag you again. That's really true. So the mechanism for selecting a new piece of content is different. Yeah. And this is just disregarding YouTube shorts right now. This is just like a standard YouTube video. If I don't like a TikTok, basically, I swipe. It's no effort. It's two seconds. And it's already on to trying to give me the next best piece of content on all of TikTok to possibly give to me. Mm -hmm. On YouTube, I log on to YouTube and there's a bunch of videos to pick from and there's some titles and some thumbnails and it's a selection process and maybe I click one and I get a little bored and I'm like, never mind, it's not that good. The amount of effort required is a little bit higher to search through titles and thumbnails again, yeah. maybe related videos, maybe other videos in your subscriber box to find one you wanna spend time on. And that subtle difference is enough to mean the experience shifts between these two platforms. Yeah, TikTok, it's so easy. It's so easy. So, yeah, you know, 
Uh, I, I don't think Kalan and Samir should stop towards trying to get to their million subscriber no, goal. No, not at all. M mainly because, number one, <laughs> I, you know, I talked about vanity metrics before. It's like when um when they when they go to do an ad for uh, a Jelly that, Smack yes. or something like that, the number one thing that those companies seem to look at is how many subscribers are we going to reach? This is kind of what I wanted to talk about in here because while I don't disagree with this person, subscriber count is going to be popular for more than two years because I still don't fully think ad agencies have figured out social media marketing quite yet. It's slow. And subscriber count is such a big thing for them to like, decide whether they want to do it. Whether it's the right thing, no. Right. But it is a thing that they are still actively, actively looking at. It's always yeah. the first thing. I saw a lot more of this in early, earlier days of YouTube, but there's no doubt a bunch of advertisers that are still doing this where they look towards, all right, I want to do a tech ad. So mm -hmm. I want to work with a couple tech creators and we want to just reach, you know, a lot of them, their goal is just to reach as many people as possible, just generally in tech. And the first thing they do is go to the tech channels with the largest subscriber number. Yep. And that's the only thing they look at. Now that's, it might work, It might. it's fine if you get to work with those certain select group of creators, but the more nuanced approach is to work with the those with the most engaged audiences. There's a yeah. bunch more metrics you wanna look at, and obviously this makes much more sense now in 2022 when there's a much more advanced study of the creator economy. But the point is um, the subscriber number isn't meaningless anymore, but it's, it's a little bit less than the whole picture. Yeah. So if you're gonna look at, like I wanna I want to run um, Samsung, I wanna run an ad for this this phone on as many of these tech channels as possible. Um, I wanna talk work with creators on something like this. I would wanna find the ones who at this very moment are speaking to their audiences the best. And that might be a channel with 300,000 subscribers that gets 300,000 views on every yeah. video and not the one with a million subscribers that gets 100,000 views on every video. So I guess the point is, yeah, it's, it's less important than it has been in the past, but it's just one of a constellation of data points to consider. Yeah, and if you are still a marketing agency who sees subscribers, like that still is always while the algorithm is so great and while somebody watching MKBHD might not look in their sub box and still get served MKBHD videos, that sub box is like a second chance for them to not miss that video. So yeah. like that is double the chance now that this ad ultimately ad gets seen because that's what you're paying for. So you want to hit the bigger subscribers. Um, I actually think Google Team Pixel does a really, really good job at looking outside the box in terms of content creators because right. they do exactly what you said. They'll find a smaller creator that's got 5,000, even 10,000 subscribers. Um, and But they'll see that that person is getting 100 comments or like 8,000 views out of their 10,000 subscribers. And that's awesome. That's like, that's a really, really loyal community base. And a lot of times when you're you're an advertiser, that's who you want to hit. Yeah. So it is really important. Um, the, but those people, because they're not getting the big views and from the, the subscriber kickoff, like you're saying, are very rarely getting into the algorithm of reaching the outside right. world of that. Yeah, exactly. Also, another thing I noticed, this is sort of on a, on a tangent with shorts and TikTok. We started the shorts channel. Yeah. And I've just been fascinated looking at the graphs of what these oh, shorts yeah, yeah, are yeah. doing. And basically what I found is we had a couple shorts on the channel to start, then we gave it a big shout out. So this is before it had many subscribers mm -hmm. at all. It probably had less than 15,000 subscribers. And those shorts, all of them, I think there's six of them now, all of them have a graph that looks like flat for about four days, yeah. and then it slowly starts to increase where it's basically not hitting the shorts shelf and getting recommended for 96 hours, and then it does, right. and then it starts going up. So typically when you have um, a lot of subscribers on a channel, that graph looks like a spike at the beginning and then it flattens out. Mm -hmm. So basically the, the best combination for a short would be a lot of subscribers and then hitting the short shelf quickly where you get an initial spike from subscribers to yeah. quickly get it into people's feeds and then the short shelf takes it off. So yeah, it's a combo. It's it's the one-two punch of like having an initial audience who likes what you make and is willing to take that risk and hey, an investment of 45 seconds of my time, I'll check this one out real quick. And then that data proving to YouTube that it's worth it it wanting to serve it to more people to get more people satisfied and spending more time on YouTube and serving it up in the short shelf and then it blowing up. The channel 
has 160,000 subscribers, all of the shorts have at least half a million views. So they're coming from people who are yeah. not subscribed to the channel. That's the that's the interesting thing there. So yeah, that's what TikTok's yeah. been good at. I guess the the last thing kind of also is like a subscriber is kind of anytime you enter a like let's say like Pinterest or um, maybe like a backgrounds like wallpaper app or just like a lot of social media. When you're first joining, it doesn't have any information on you. So a lot of times you'll get that prompt that's like, what are you interested in? Tech, hiking, cars. Mm. So a subscriber, subscribing to channels kind of helps YouTube get your personalized uh, algorithm kind yeah. of figured out a little easier. And I'm sure they're always going to be interested in that. Now, that doesn't mean the number of it's that important, but YouTube's not going to get rid of subscribers or anything like that no, because no. it's helping them so much be able to serve you that information. Yeah. I. You know what? I That just reminded me of something. When I... You remember Google Plus? Vaguely. <laughs> Google Plus was a, another a long ago attempt at a Google social network. And uh, I was one of the earliest people to start using Google Plus. I gave it a shout out on my channel. I talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I eventually ended up in the suggestions for who to follow when you first the, sign like, up default? for Google Plus. Uh -huh. It was like me, Guy Kawasaki, like a, some CEOs. Like it was a small list. And I was in there. And so I had a couple million followers on Google Plus, which was great. You were like the Beyonce of Google Plus. I was one of the top 10 most followed people on that's, all of Google Plus. That's but awesome. my engagement ratio was very low because most of those people who just signed up and didn't really use Google Plus mm -hmm. were just following me and never engaged with anything. So uh, if you were looking to do a brand deal on Google Plus and you stumbled across the top 10 most followed accounts, you'd be making a horrible mistake. Yeah. Because that would not be a very good use of your money unless you specifically wanted those people's audiences. So if you wanted tech, you should go to the people with the most engaged tech audiences. But yeah, I think I had, I'm pretty sure I had like five or six million followers on Google Plus, which was not a big social network and not a lot of people use I it. I wish at the they time. sent you a plaque because that would be a piece <laughs> of history. That would have been really funny. But yeah, you know, it died as quickly as it came up. But I, I do remember being in the suggested list. That's kind of awesome. And so if you, if you think YouTube's going to go that way, you know, where they suggest automatically channels to follow, I think what they do now is they suggest topics to follow. And uh -huh. if you follow a topic, then there's a bunch of creators oh, in the topic. Oh, yeah, they do do that thing. Yeah. And so you can subscribe to that. Mm -hmm. So whenever you open the beauty topic, there's videos from 12 beauty creators. I there. remember when PewDiePie had like more subscribers than like the music topic yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So th this LinkedIn post, I wish I had more context of exactly where it was. If he's specifically talking to marketing agencies, then I like completely agree with this. There are like so many other metrics you need to look at and see what kind of engagement places are getting. But in terms of just like the average person or even the content creator on here, like subscribers are still super important. And while, you know, showing the numbers and everything is kind of like a bragging point or like vanity number. Yeah. It's still pretty important yeah i think the the hottest take in this is that it will be gone in the next two years yeah that i disagree with completely. like youtube's gotten rid of a lot of things that we thought were important like the dislike button counter i get yeah. it but every social media site needs a way to follow and show how many have done so yeah uh, and it does it on reasons. TikTok, and it still is a fairly important yeah TikTok shows TikTok. followers yeah. exactly so i don't think that's going anywhere yeah okay I think that's about it. Thanks, thanks for yeah. uh, thanks for this surfacing this info, and for everybody who's been tweeting at us, thanks for doing that too. We get a lot of our topic suggestions and things to talk about from Twitter, so yeah, keep sending stuff our way, well. and we appreciate the Discord people. But that's been it for this week. Stay tuned. We've got a really fun one coming up. I know I keep saying that, but obviously it's true. It's true. We got a lot of good stuff coming up. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Catch you guys next week. Peace. Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. We are partnered with Vox Media and our intro outro music was created by Vane Sill. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs. You might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. 
design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero setup, developer first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.